idea who what hope means. I just didn't want you to contradict with your group. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, which basically is what you said. But as I read today's gospel, through the lens of today's theme of hope, I wondered who in the world selected this text. What were they thinking? Jesus sits with his shell-shocked disciples, sensing the profound disturbance at his words that this beautiful temple that they were sitting in would soon be rubble, and pointing them to a larger cataclysm that will shake the whole earth. Am I the only one who doesn't necessarily get a lot of hope out of that? Let's see if together we could find some hope in the next few minutes. Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl remembered a day during World War II. He was on a work gang just outside the fences of Hitler's Dachau death camp. We were at work in a trench, wrote Frankl. The dawn was gray around us. Gray was the sky above. Gray was the snow in the pale light of dawn. Gray rags in which my fellow prisoners were clad, gray their faces. Frankel tells how he was ready to die. Yesterday was kind of like one of those gray days. And I wonder if maybe around the fourth kilometer yesterday, <laughs> Alec was like, I'm ready to die. Your knee was tingling, wasn't it, Alan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was if, as if the gray bleakness had claws. And each moment, they dug deeper and colder into Frankel's soul. What could the purpose be in living? There was no heaven, no hell, no future no past. It was all gone. Only the clutching grayness of this miserable moment. But suddenly, to his surprise, Frankel felt a less violent protest, surging within himself. Even though his body and mind had accepted defeat, spirit was breaking through and taking flight. It was searching. It was scanning the, the external, eternal horizons for the faintest glimmer that said his life had some divine purpose. It was looking for God. In a single instance, two things happened, says Frankel that simply could not be mere coincidences. Within himself, he heard a powerful cry, tearing at the icy claws of death. The voice shouted, yes, against the no of defeat. And at that same exact second, a light 
split in the distant farmhouse. Like a beacon, it called attention to itself. It spoke of life, warmth, family, love. Frankel said that in that moment, that very moment, he began to believe. He began to have hope again. Advent reminds us of our similar need. The grayness of our bleak days is stifling. The loneliness of the moment overwhelms us. Is there, a, is there a reason to carry on? <clears throat> I just read someone's Facebook post this week that was very reminiscent of that. Is there meaning beyond the drudgery of today's repetitive struggles? I don't know about you, but seeing Bob come in in a yellow vest with a tablet that has all the entrances to Crestnell Baptist in his hand, a microphone that connects him to every other entrance. <coughs> Doesn't really give me a lot of hope. Gives me security, not necessarily a lot of hope. So the question is, is there hope? And is there God? This question came up at the book club this week. Sometimes it seems there's no getting away from a bad thing. And with tear-strained cheeks and swollen eyes, we shout, Oh, God, is there no relief? There's something amazing, though, about the strength, peace, and hope that are part of our Advent anticipations. We need to remember, again, that only a God who has ultimate control over all these things can make life itself meaningful. Only a God who allows the miseries for a time, as a parent, might restrain a helping hand so that a child can grow through the struggles of development can bring all things, all things, into the larger plans for peace, joy, and harmony. There's a scene in Melville's Moby Dick where Captain Ahab stands on the ship deck during a violent thunderstorm. His obsession with the white whale has carried the ship and crew to exotic and frightening locales. And now it seems as if divine providence might be unleashing furious anger against this very quest. But Ahab, with clenched fists amid the lightning and raging thunder, yells a taunt at God who chastens his cause. I know thee, thou clear spirit, and I know, now know that my right worship is defiance. Yet even Captain Ahab, torn by his demons and captured as much by the whale 
as he seeks to capture it, knows that there is a need greater than victory and a power more tenacious than brutal force. He falls to the deck in a tormented confession. But war is pain and hate is woe. Come in thy lowest form of love and I will kneel and kiss thee. He pleads with God to stop the battering of the antagonistic powers and descend in kind humility so that the passions of love might be reborn and rekindled again. This, of course, is a marvelous bridge between the bellicose prophecies of the Old Testament and the juxtaposed incarnation of Jesus that emerged out of it. A few weeks ago, Alec told us how much he loves the Old Testament. And this Jesus, this word that becomes flesh, comes out of the Old Testament. God indeed did come down, like God had done in the times of Moses and Pharaoh. But this time, God chooses the poor child rather than the plague blasts as the means of arrival and encounter. We who marshal our forces for good or for evil are caught up short. The one, think about this, the one who could rend heavens and set twigs ablaze and cause water to boil and cause nations to quake and make mountains tremble, slipped in, slipped in as a helpless child on a starry night in Bethlehem. This is the language of Advent, the language of hope in God, the crisis of these times and the anticipated act, next act of divine intervention in human affairs. It all begins with God's faithfulness. And that, brothers and sisters, is what our hope is pinned. Advent is for the church a solid hook in the vast, uncharted, chaotic voids of space, allowing us to tether and take our bearings from at least one point, which is neither shifting with the currents nor dependent on our own power to establish it. Advent is a date on the calendar that was penned in by God, not us. We didn't do it. It indicates a promised encounter we might often doubt, but it cannot be erased from the pages of time. So how much more should we hope God keeps promises? In the evidence of these days when we challenge, are challenged by materialistic denials of any first cause, religious trust just seems kind of foolish. Except 
made a promise. But we have seen God's character in creation and in the divine affairs with humans and in the testimony of Jesus. Now, Alec and I have worked on our worship for Advent, and on the cover of your bulletin, you'll see a question. You can uh, shout out loud what that question is. What? Shout Someone out. shout out what the question says. What is God's justice this we are, that we are hoping for this year? So what is the justice of God that we're hoping for this year? Caitlin beautifully put it in the children's sermon. Do you remember and can you shout that out? How you put it? You hope that everyone... Happy and comfortable with who they are. How many of us can say that? Are we comfortable with who we are? Might as well be, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> it's all we got. It's all we got? Well, we got Jesus, right? Yeah. And Jesus helps us become better people, right? Right. Yes. Were we always this comfortable in our skins? No. I was the shortest one in my class. <laughs> I've, had gla I've had glasses since I was four. It's hard to be a little gay boy. It's called four eyes, which was the polite term, or Coke bottle glasses. What kind of justice are you looking for this season? Mercy, Mercy for the immigrants. Mercy for the immigrants. Speaking of which, thank you. That was perfect. We've got our first refugee family. On Tuesday night at 8.15, the Gourmet family, I think that's how you pronounce it, will be coming to the airport and we're going to welcome them. It's a father, a mother, the father's brother, and then two little kids. Talk about justice. Justice. They've been living in a, in a refugee camp for nine years. Oh, my goodness. There can't be justice, then let there be mercy. Exactly. So we've got the handle on mercy because we're going to sponsor them with Grace and Glory Lutheran in Goshen and we're going to set up an apartment with them. We have almost everything we need. We're going Sean and I are going over this afternoon to the apartment. We finally they finally got one for them. And we're going to make them a home. A home that's not fenced in. A home a home that has running water where they can experience the freedom here in the United States. What other justice issues are we hoping for this Advent season? Rest of one day, not need to look at every church entrance on an iPad. One more time? For one day where we do not have to look at every church entrance on an iPad. Oh. One, one day when we don't have to look at every church entrance on an iPad. <laughs> yeah. There is a 
you know, we all know about the shooting at Kroger's in J-Town. My justice, one of my areas of justice, is that no African-American would feel concerned about going out of their house. That the scourge of white supremacy, which has ruled this nation since before its founding, come to an end. I live in Mississippi. I came up to help my sister who had major surgery. 37% um, of our population is black. It is still, depending on what part of the state you live in, as persecuted as ever. Mm -hmm. We just had a race. It was close. But we didn't step over that that boundary and, and uh, hopefully in the near future we can do that. It's, um, I live in an integrated community. I live on the coast where things are hidden so they're better. But the reality is there every day and I see it in the eyes of the women I work with when they send their children to school, when they send them out into the world, when their boys just put gas in the car in a white community. It is, it's, it's two-faced. And it's very, um, it's not justice. There are, there are people who think anyone with a dark face is someone to be afraid of. And it's not true. I fear 30-year-old white men more than I fear a black face. And that's the reality in my world. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame. It's not much different. No, it's not. So, can all we do is hope? Yes. And voice it. When I see a young black woman standing by the road with police cars around her, I pull over and go stand next to her. And that's mm -hmm. not just hoping. No, that's doing. putting our hope and our faith into action, which is what we need to do. We may be a small congregation here, but do we do small things? Well, how, what's your first name? I'm Pat. Pat. How would Pat know? By our actions. All right. So what do we, tell Pat what we do. You're sponsoring an immigrant family. Right. Well, that's one thing. <laughs> Melissa, what do we do? <laughs> Am I going to have to start calling out people? <laughs> I know that this is a, a place that welcomes everyone. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't just walk in the door and hope for the best. I actually know before I walk in the door that I will be welcome. Otherwise, I'm going to have to stand up and leave. We also host annually a Thanksgiving meal for about 100 clients of Wellspring, which is a local nonprofit that serves adults and families. And that's important. Mm -hmm. And sure. 
What do we do on Mondays? <laughs> <laughs> on Mondays we have Since 74, we're taking care of Crescent Hill people who are not able to help themselves. We take care of our children when they start school. I belong to this church for 60 years, and we do something every week and every day. It's hope. Mm -hmm. So, we have four weeks of Advent. season of waiting. It's a season of hope. So I, my prayer for this community of faith is that we use these four weeks to wait for hope, but more importantly to put hope, find our hope in Jesus Christ and put it into action. 